Hello and welcome back to Castle Rock Critical. Today we are continuing our Stephen King adaptation coverage and we're focusing back on our beloved town of Castle Rock and returning to The Dead Zone, the 1983 film directed by David Cronenberg and starring Christopher Walken. So uh, just first up, spoilers for The Dead Zone. Just want to say if you haven't seen it or read it, we are going to be discussing the film and the book in this podcast. So if you haven't seen it, go watch it, come back, listen to this. Last time, it was just the lads. Yeah, we covered Misery. Go check that out. Hilarious. This time, sacked the lads, recruited the ladies. It's a welcome back to Emma and Lucy. Hi. Hello. Have both of you read this book? Nay. Yay. So that's a nay from Lucy and a yay from Emma. So uh, during this podcast, Emma will be jumping in and um, telling us what is wrong with the film or what the film did right. Well, spoiler warning. Or what the film did right uh, with the source material. And as is tradition, I will start by reading out the general consensus from Rotten Tomatoes. And this is what they had to say about The Dead Zone. The Dead Zone combines taut direction from David Cronenberg and a rich performance from Christopher Walken to create one of the strongest Stephen King adaptations. Channeling her in a John, Emma is not happy. Um, so, you guys, what are your thoughts on the film? As I said, Emma's read it. If you could give us a synopsis, I'm going to start with Lucy first from a non-book reader's perspective. I want a synopsis for your thoughts. And then as is tradition here at Castle Rock Critical and Fan Critical, I would like a blueberry rating. And for anyone listening for the first time, please do explain the blueberry rating system. Straight in there. Boring. Oh, um, burn. Not scary. Yeah, the, the fact that people call this a horror film is is interesting to me. Well, I googled it and it said it was sci-fi mystery. I mean, more not sci-fi. Maybe not. What's the mystery? There isn't one. Uh, yeah, true. How it got made? Don't know. Yeah. Oh. Um, it doesn't really go anywhere. So, um, we've mentioned. I want to call him Ken Dodd, but Frank Dodd from Yeah, yeah. Um, Ken Dodd. We meant he came up in Castle Rock when we were covering the show. Of course. And I thought from that that he would be a feature in this film more. Yeah, 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 yeah. He goes pretty quick. Yeah. There's no mystery surrounding that. Mm. I just didn't really get it, and I didn't think it was scary or enjoyable, or even that stupidly, like, you know, I think, like, so, Cujo is yeah, so camp. Cujo's Pet it's, Cemetery. It's yeah, you've this got the fun really moments. This isn't really or yeah. fun. Yeah. So, blueberries. blueberries um, How does it work? Well, for those that are new to uh, Fan Critical and Castle Rock Critical, we rate everything that we podcast on out of five blueberries. Five is the highest, one is the lowest. Zero is the lowest. Zero is the lowest. Zero is, well, we haven't, no, haven't crossed no, that bridge just no, yet. No. Um, there can be no half blueberries. No. Can't half the blue. Only. So, with that said, I think I'd have to give this a two. A two. A very wow. meh two. It's a meh two. It's a meh two from Lucy. Emma, coming to you next, the book reader. You have read the book. You watched the film. Give us your thoughts and your bloobs. So uh, The Dead Zone is one of my favourite Stephen King novels. It's fantastic. It's quite protracted um, and it does go on a bit, as, as Stephen King is, is wont to do. But I love it. It's fantastic. It was one of my first introductions to Castle Rock. This adaptation, on the other hand, is utter tripe. Tripe? Tripe. And anyone listening in the States, tripe is a type of, I, I guess, fish. No, it's, it's not meat. fish. It's like the intestines of a cow. Okay. It's what I, they feed not, dogs. I don't even know what it is. It's the intestines of animals. Yeah. So it's tripe. Awful. Yes, awful. Mm. Bad like awful as well. Like this film, awful. Yes. Um, oh, very good. Don't get me wrong, because Christopher Walken... Is, is great. Yeah, we all love him. Let's Not be necessarily in the dead zone, but he yeah. is great. And I do love him. And I think there are some positives to this film if you were, say, like a teenager in 1983. Yes. And you'd never read the book. Yeah. Probably quite or good. Film. Or yeah. seen any film. No, yeah. I mean, no, actually, I take that back. If you, were, if you were of an age in the early 80s, you watched this, Christopher Walken was just like on the peak of stardom. I think mm. he had his first like massive breakout hit the year before. Um, you you would love this. It would be a great film and it would be exactly, I think, what David Cronenberg wanted it to be. Yeah. Unfortunately, um, in 2018, mm. having read the novel and loved it so much, I am going to make fan critical and Castle Rock critical history You're not going to do something stupid, are you? 
You're I'm, not going to do something stupid because it sounds stupid. Would, I am giving this film one blueberry. Okay, one blueberry. Okay, right. that, that's history for me. Charts, that's yeah. history for Emma. I mean, look, it's not deserving of a zero, Emma. I was about to go. This no, is no, insane. No. I wouldn't do that to you, Len. I wouldn't. Um, no. the, the book, on the other hand, five. Yeah, well, that's good. And, and and throughout this podcast, we will be jumping in with the book take as well of the individual plot sequences that we're going to go through. So I didn't remember this film very fondly, to be honest with you. I had seen it a couple of times before, and I hadn't literally watched it for literally over a decade um i thought it was going to be way more shambolic than it was in truth it's a very well-made film i love david cronenberg i think he's a fantastic director and i can see what he's going for with this film i think the biggest thing that goes against it for me is the lack of any form of humor in it at all it is very dour it takes itself so seriously and that's not necessarily a bad thing but i'd have liked a you know a pinch of dark humor in there something to spice it up a bit it just feels so like down on itself and like it just beating itself up all the time some of the dialogue and acting uh was classic 80s and i think this film <laughs> is a product of the 80s completely like yeah. Uh, watching it now I don't think it holds up very well at all it is very slow it's very plodding um, and as you said Lucy it skips over some really interesting stuff Um, for me because we covered Castle Rock some of the really really fascinating things to do with you know uh, Frank Dodd so for that reason I'm gonna give it a three blueberries which I think is a fair score it's a well constructed film of the time David Cronenberg I think did a good job they like filmed it all in this really really deep winter in Ontario and you can you get that sense of it being quite like isolated and cold yeah but that is the film all over it's just cold and sometimes you just need something to give it a bit of life and it felt quite lifeless to me but a three I think is a fair score for a very well put together film but three I will say there was one thing I did really like and that was uh, Christopher Walken's coat. Uh, I mean, look, he rocks it. And yeah. and I think he pulls off the sort of walking with a cane thing quite well as well. I quite liked it. I like his sticky up hair and his general face. His general walking yeah. demeanour. And on that note, I think it's time that we jump in to the main recap. <laughs> Sorry to interrupt uh, the podcast once again. But yes, this is the advert section. Just to say we have had some great content released in the last few weeks. We just released on our Fan Critical channel. So that's Fan Critical. That's our parent podcast. We have been covering The Walking Dead. And that is approaching the mid-season finale very soon in the next few weeks. We have covered some major events in that show. Uh, And to be honest with you, The Walking Dead has taken a turn uh, for the better. It is a much, much better show than it was last year. So if you're thinking about watching it again, I would actually recommend it for a change. So do do that and listen to the podcast, of course. We also have done Misery last week as our Stephen King retrospective. Uh, We're doing, obviously, you're listening right now to the Dead Zone podcast. But we also have The Haunting of Hill House coming out on this channel next week, as well as Overlord being released on Fan Critical in the next week or two. So there's a lot of good stuff coming out. To subscribe, all you have to do is be on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, anywhere where you find podcasts, and you can just subscribe to us. The episode will get downloaded to your phone. You don't even have to worry about it. Listen to it when you want. And uh, back to the podcast. So, as is tradition with the Stephen King retrospectives, I have scoured the internet, uh, multiple different sources, definitely not just Wikipedia, and I have the plot all nicely written out for us to discuss. So I'm going to go through little sections of the plot, obviously in order, and then we're going to talk about what we think about it, and Emma's going to chirp in with how it's absolutely dour because she gave it a one blueberry, so obviously the book is far superior. Okay, let's start. In the town of Castle Rock... Oh, it's exciting, isn't it? Castle Rock, we're We're back. back. We're back. Uh, Castle Rock, Maine, John Smith, or Johnny Smith, a young school teacher. I mean, let's stop there, young he doesn't look that young. No. He's meant to be about 22. No. Are you joking? No. And in the book, it's not even set in Castle Rock. What do you mean it's not set in Castle Rock? What, it's yeah. Castle, Castle County? Yeah, it's somewhere in Maine. I yeah. I can't remember where it is, but it's not in Castle Rock. Frank Dodd is in Castle Rock. Right. But his... But Johnny is not, but in the yes. film it is... Interesting. Well, that makes sense from a story point to keep it all in one location for sure. Um, But Castle County, let's just say it's all in Castle County. Yeah. Uh, So he's not young, but he is a school teacher. He's also in love with his colleague, Sarah Bracknell. Okay. Uh, Thoughts on Sarah off the bat. Um, Terrible hair, but very 80s hair. Mm, She's wooden. Wooden, yes. She looks very 80s. She's got that wholesome 
dark hair, dark eyed look. But yes. Not a great actress, turns out. Tall, though. Very tall. Yeah. And uh, speaking of wooden, let's remember that. After <laughs> after having a headache following a ride on a roller coaster, a very bizarre scene, Johnny politely <laughs> declines when Sarah asks if uh, he wants to spend the night with her. Do you think that he thinks that she's going to be wooden in bed? Honestly. Yeah, she th- he's going to think it's like getting it on with a plank. Yeah, and I think he's like, oh, I'm not in the mood like for that tonight. Like a stiff as a board. Exactly. I'm not in the mood for that tonight. I mean, Sarah... Ugh. You know, Sounds you, like MDF. You know, he was... Look, think about it this way. He was trying to get out of the roller coaster ride by feigning a headache. Then he's gone there. He's trying to get out of that. I just don't think he's that interested, to be honest with you. Uh, so he he denies her. Is that oh. happen, does that happen in the book as well, Em? It does, but in a slightly less, I think you'll be shit in bed and more of a, I really do want to wait because I'm falling in love with you. But it's only about their third date. He the is book. such a stand-up guy, isn't he? Oh, he I is. Say he's Especially, like a girl, but, you know, stand-up guy. I was going to say he sounds like a girl, but... Stand-up guy works too. Stand-up guy works too. Uh, So as he drives home through stormy weather, Johnny has a car accident that leaves him in a coma. He awakens under the care of neurologist Dr. Sam Wiesak. He finds that five years have passed and that Sarah is now married and has a child. Emma. Oh, Oh, my God. And even as we begin, the things that you've missed, Cronenberg, (laughs) the things you've missed... So in the book, um, as I just said, they've only just started dating at this point. So it's relatively new. It's all very hush-hush. They're all quite, they're both quite nervous around each other. A little nervous, yeah. nervous, flirty, little little young school teachers, apparently. Yes, young, very young. Um, that is, I mean, that is a problem with the casting. They both look north of 30, yeah. easily. Yeah. In, in the book, 30s. they're in, I think, their early, mid-20s. So he does have a headache on the roller coaster. And yes. it's not the excuse he uses not to have sex. But yes. then after that, he ends up, um, as they're walking out, deciding to pop down his last couple of dollars on uh, the Wheel of Fortune game. What, and what's he, that? Elaborate. So uh, it's basically you pick a number and the wheel spins and the house always wins because it's all fixed because right. it's the fair. Yeah. But he gets drawn to it. And um, basically, he just keeps having little psychic flashes and he wins an absolute bucket load of money. How much money are we talking here? We're talking like five, six hundred dollars. And this is in, in the 80s. In the 80s. Probably, so quite so a lot probably of money. Probably about $5,000 yeah. these days, maybe. Yeah. A couple of grand. A lot of money. So he, he attracts like a big crowd. And this is the first inkling that you really get that he's possibly got some kind of psychic leaning. Um You also, I believe at the beginning of the book, learned that when he was a kid... No, I'm going to bring this up later, actually. Yes, bring that up later. Uh, Lucy, any thoughts on this opening uh, opening segment? I, I was quite devastated uh, for him when I found out it had been five years. Um, you know, obviously... They did a good job of making his parents look like they'd aged about 25 years. Yeah. They were, like, well old. They were well old, but he's only 22, remember, so... so why, why are his yeah, parents, like, well, approaching death? They did seem very old. They've been um, cutting his hair as well. Which they made mention of. Oh, lovely. Of. Lovely. So, You've got to keep grooming uh, comatose patients. why he doesn't have a beard or his hair's even more Yeah, he, he was looking better when he came out of the coma than when yeah. he went in. Mm. That is true. I mean, wouldn't you like to have a five-year sleep? I bloody would. I mean, I, yeah. I feel like I need one. I feel like <laughs> I desperately need one, as the Misery podcast last week and said. And breaking news. Fan Critical will be taking a five-year hiatus. <laughs> yeah, sabbatical. Yes. Uh, Johnny also discovers that he now has the psychic ability to learn a person's secrets through physical contact with them. As he touches a nurse's hand, he has a vision of her daughter trapped in a fire. He also sees that Weezak's mother, long thought to have died during World War II, is still alive, and that a reporter's sister killed herself. So... So weird how it all works. Like, why can he see, like, the the doctor's, like, war pass, and then he can see what's happening to the the uh, nurse's child now. Yes. he's super psychic. And spoiler warning for anyone who listens to our, you know, King Corner segment or now the feedback segment. Uh, we use that quote, uh, the house is burning. The house is burning. Exactly. In, the, um, in that little sting that we have. So mm. just a little spoiler warning, Easter egg there for you guys. Um, I have to say, I love David Cronenberg. And I think a lot of the stuff that he does is very out there, very bizarre. And he has made some of my favourite sort of like horror type films body horror body horror exactly that's why the term Cronenbergs mm. you know is a thing in Rick and Morty it's hilarious about how these creatures that he creates and these sort of worlds that he also creates but um, 
his decision of directing in this with the psychic ability, I found very jarring. Mm. The and I'll, I'll insert the noise here. <laughs> yeah, that noise, and then Chris, Christopher Walken's face when he gets these visions is comical. <laughs> it is laughable. Yeah, when you said earlier about no laughs. Well, that this is was the only funny. this is the only laughing bit, but they're meant it's meant to be serious. But um, you know, his face is hilarious. It's like he's delayed. From the, the editing's all over the place because the noise happens and then his face happens. It should both happen at the same time. Like, And it's very jarring for me. I did like, though, the visions. They were fine. I thought they were absolutely fine. Lucy, you are right. Very random, but I don't think he can control his power at this stage. No. Is that right, Emma? Yeah, as far as, far as I'm aware... Um, from the book or from the film, and the, you know, Cronenberg is is accurate and faithful to this. Um, Johnny With the has... noise and everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's really weird when you see that written down. That noise. Yeah. Yeah, Johnny has no control over this, and it's really traumatic for him because basically every time he touches someone, he sees something, whether that's future or past, and, mm. he, and he can't control it. Is it always bad things? No, not always. So actually the first vision he has in the hospital um, while he's recuperating in the book is when one of his nurses, sort of similar to this, um, touches him and uh, her son is really poorly and he says he's going to make it through okay. That's nice. No, basically his surgery is going to go well to, I think, replace his legs or I don't know. <laughs> replace, replace his, his legs leg with what? Just in the, the 80s. <laughs> what are they replacing them with? Just with poles. Garbage. <laughs> like broom handles. <laughs> Um, with garbage on the end, so it's going to go all right. Then, yeah. Don't worry. But the vision that he has um, of the fire. Now I understand, and and I think in the eighties this probably would have worked. That you have to make it a bit more exciting for the big screen. So you introduce a, a child in peril, don't you? Yeah, yeah. and that noise. horrible noise. Can you stop that, Lucy? <laughs> That's so good at it. Um, yeah. But how it happens? The foley sound they actually <laughs> used, believe it or not, was Lucy. She time travelled back to the eighties yeah. for that. I mean, be thankful that she did, to be honest. Yeah, um, flawless. So in the book, he's having a physiotherapy session and his physiotherapist um, is obviously helping him do his physiotherapy. Never said that word so many times. Yeah. And at one point when he touches her or she touches him, Ooh. he gets this vision of her house on fire because she's left the uh, the waffle iron on or something. It is oh, something I wish like I owned that. a waffle iron. Oh. There's no kids. But she doesn't believe him and he's going completely mad and he's really traumatised by it. Yeah. So then he, he basically like barges his way into the nurse's office and says, I need to use the telephone because the woman who he's, he said your house is on fire doesn't believe him. Yeah. Calls the fire service. They drive around there. House is on fire. Of course. So this is, I mean, this is way before any of the press conference stuff or anything like that. Yeah. And, and I do get it. And actually, I think Cronenberg did the right thing by introducing a kid yeah. because there isn't much... Like trauma, if it's but just she, a fucking if she, house. when she says, "And my daughter's name," then it's like she would believe him because he knows something about her that he couldn't know without this information. Yeah, so it makes sense yeah. to change it like that. I personally didn't mind the house is burning thing. I was just excited to hear him the say the house is burning, burning, which is obviously in our little sting. As news of his gift spreads, Johnny is asked by Sheriff George Bannerman. So we're back to Bannerman, and Woo! to be fair. Um, we slated Bannerman's uh, performance in Cujo. This is far better from the boy that we expect. Uh, he is asked by Sheriff George Bannerman for help with a series of murders, but he wishes to be left alone and therefore declines. Sarah, his long lost love, visits with her infant son, which I thought was a bit bizarre, and she and Johnny consummate their previous yeah. relationship. Now, Sorry about the son, Emma. Because I was what I was watching it, but I thought, what have I missed? Like, how old is this child? Is this um, no. Johnny's son? Because he was just like got him on his lap, playing with him. So it was just a bit like, oh, who's this kid? No, like nothing. The kid's only, I think she said when she first saw him in the hospital, the kid's like twenty months old. It's yeah. definitely not his. Whose kid is it? Her husband. Her right. new husband. Married. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, he seems a bit of a dweeb as well, as we'll come on to later. Oh, yeah. um, Dweeby. Let's talk about this consummation of their previous relationship. So. Oh. I, Sarah, interesting character. She's in a now relationship with her husband. They have a child. Um, you know, we're all obviously against this right now, but she's gone over there and just shagged him. And why, when he touched her, when he put his face oh, to her chest, yeah. did he not see well, her making lunch that day? Or yeah, whatever? I think they can't be bothered to show us a vision every time. <laughs> her just making cucumber sandwiches. Well, I mean, it doesn't happen every time. It doesn't. No. Oh, okay. It doesn't. Well, okay. Well, Johnny. But this I does mean, happen in the book. You would think that 
shagging someone would be yeah. the time when you would get... There's a lot of touching. There's a lot of touching usually. going on. Yeah. I mean, you know, just saying. What? Having a change of heart, Johnny agrees to help Bannerman. And through a vision at the crime scene, he discovers that Bannerman's deputy, Frank Dodd, is the killer. Before they can arrest him, Dodd kills himself. Johnny is then shot by Dodd's mother who in turn is killed by Bannerman. Right, we've glossed over massive Castle Rock history here. I want to spend some time talking about all of this because for me, I was expecting more from this. Oh, I was God, expecting... Yeah. So much more. From the way that we've been covering Castle Rock, Frank Dodd is, you know, mentioned several times in the series of Castle Rock. Mm. Not only that, when we were covering Cujo, which is kind of the unofficial sequel to The Dead Zone in yep. some way, shape or form... Uh, Frank Dodd is, you know, a rumour that is circulating around kids in Castle Rock about he's, you know, that's what Tad thinks he sees in the closet and all of mm. that kind of stuff. So very important character, completely glossed over yeah. in this. Well, I wonder if it's because, if you think about it this way, this is Stephen King's seventh novel mm. and only the fifth under Stephen King's name. So he wasn't as prolific a writer at this point. And I, and I wonder, because this is very early in the days of Castle Rock, if when Cronenberg took this on... Um, and I do believe Stephen King originally wrote the screenplay and Cronenberg said it was shit. Mm. Um, well, remember, Stephen King wrote the screenplay for Pet Cemetery, and we yeah. can all agree that was absolute codswallop. Very good at books, very bad at screenplays, Stephen. Mm. So stick to what you're good at. Yes. Um, but it's a real shame because the story of Frank Dodd is amazing, and, and I would implore you to read The Dead Zone purely so for that story. we get a lot more in The Dead Zone, don't we, Emma, about... Yeah. Frank Dodd and it's a bit more of a drawn out process than this is very honestly within about five minutes he's joins the the hunt finds the killer and then he kills finds himself, the killer literally. and then he kills himself I was so shocked by how it all panned out because I thought you know he has the vision he sees who it is and I thought there would be some kind of I don't know cat and mouse between the two mm. of them it was honestly over so quickly I was like oh also like, what what is this? What was the, even the point of having the serial killer that's killing people? You found him and now he's dead with some scissors in his mouth. Ridiculous. Yeah. What were the scissors all about? Well, obviously, let's talk about the way that Frank Dodd kills himself. Um, I thought it was a gr- grotesque... Actually, I, I was impressed by that decision. It was grim. Uh, very Cronenberg, I have to say. It was out there as a way of killing yourself. And I liked it. Obviously, in the book, M, um, he hangs himself, am I correct? I think he slits his throat with a straight razor. Something to do with the throat. He, I yeah, thought he I think, hung himself. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. In the wrong. cupboard, in the, in the wardrobe. Yeah, I think I it might remember. be that. But, so in the book, and, and I've read the book, so I don't know. <laughs> step back a little bit. So um, The Dead Zone is written with a variety of different storylines. So you follow not only Johnny Smith, you follow Greg Stilson, yeah. Sonny Ackerman, um, and Frank Dodd. Yeah. So you follow him through his his murdering spree Psychotic over the years. times. And I'm pretty sure that the woman who dies in this in this film, yes. Alma Frenetti, yes. is his first victim, not his Well, last. that's correct as well, because we referenced in our Castle Rock podcast the importance of Molly and her town where yes. she built a gazebo was her centre point. And they even had a little throwaway line about the gazebo. And we brought up, or you brought up at the time, Emma, that the gazebo is where, you know, Frank Dodd kills his first victim. Yes, I am um, right then. So the gazebo, was it? I was buzzing when we saw the gazebo because it confirmed what yeah. we were talking about during the Castle Rock uh, season. I think it was episode three where we got introduced to Molly's mm-hmm. plans. Local Colour is the name of that episode. So it was very good to to have that sort of confirmation. So I was shocked as well that that was his last uh, killer. Kill. And, I, and I think I know why. So... Um, some of this is quite accurate to the novel. So the cigarette packet thing. So Johnny then decides in the middle of the night he's going to go and help Bannerman. So he turns up at um, the sheriff's department. He's talking with him and he handles the cigarette packet. But we all know at this point, and I think we've worked it out in the film, he only gets his visions from people, from people not yes. things. Yes. Um, he doesn't get anything. So then they go out and they go to the scene of the last murder where they found the body. And the last, um, the last killing was a child... It was right. a, like a prepubescent girl. Right. So I understand maybe where Cronenberg's choice not to to put that in the film. Although it's quite Cronenberg from. to do something like that. Like he's not, you know, against some severe traumatic horror stuff. Well, in like, which case you know, it made no sense. Yeah, it was a bit bizarre. I also don't like the way that we didn't really get to see Frank Dodd properly. I think he had like two lines, if literally, that, if, if that. that. Yeah. And it was such a shame because, yeah. you know... I, 
and Bannerman to an extent. I wanted to see more of them. And, I, you know, I liked this iteration of Bannerman. I felt that he was, you mm. know, sort of in his prime. Obviously, this is before Pangborn. That's correct, isn't it? It's before Absolutely, Pangborn. Yeah. Is Pangborn even on the force at this point? I don't think he is. Not in Maine, no. No. So he he's to come later on. He features in Needful Things, yeah, obviously. So Dead prevalent. Zone, Cujo, Dead Bannerman. Dead Bannerman. And then, and then Pangborn. Needful Things. With Pangborn, yes. And, you know, Frank Dodd, I was hoping, I just wanted more. Um, yeah. As much as the, the cool house raid scene was awesome, I did really like the way that he offed himself and the way that the mother reacted. Um, it was just a shame not to get a bit more of his psyche. Mm. When I try and liken it to a film that I would like to see something of, it's something like Silence of the Lambs in a way. I want to be, you know, you, you're put into the killer's perspective there in that mm. film quite a lot. And you, you sort of have these scenes, you know, between obviously Hannibal and... Um, What's her face? Clarice. 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 And then you go to see what the killer's up to for a bit. And I think that would have been really good here to focus more on this storyline and make this the central storyline of the film in some ways. Um, I thought it would be. So when I was watching it, because of how... I know he wasn't... Didn't come up in Castle Rock that much, Frank Dodd, but I feel like he was definitely a presence. And it's weird to me that the adaptation of the book doesn't I don't know because they could have even just like mention more of the murders. You don't have to show them, but just to have have the idea that oh, this definitely. is a serial killer that really needs to be stopped, and that's why he gets involved. It was so bizarre the way it was done. Well, it's interesting because in the book you um you don't know it's Frank Dodd until Johnny finds out. Yeah, mm-hmm. obviously, yeah. Which is which is great. So you follow it from his kind of inner Frank Dodd's inner monologue. Um, but the thing I think that got me about that scene and actually Len you're right it was good the the suicide scene was good like it was it was gruesome and it was I, I was looking at it going how is he gonna oh my god he's yeah. gonna do that yeah but he's wearing a, uh, a rain mac a leather black leather trench coat yeah, yeah mm, which is or like pvc trench coat yeah. which at no point is it clarified that and, and I suppose it wouldn't be because we're not getting the inner kind of psyche of Frank Dodd. But that's what he wears when he goes out murdering the yeah, women. Yeah, and that is a mm. famous, um, you know, this is, we talked about South Park and this is bizarre to mention South Park in the show again. But they, with what? Pet Cemetery, there's an amazing parody of, uh, obviously, our boy Judd, who I love. Sometimes, Sometimes dead as bad every week. Uh, and with South Park, there's another amazing parody of Frank Dodd uh, and Eric Cartman becomes says that he's psychic and there's this guy really? in a rain mac who keeps killing women and they're trying to figure it out. But obviously Cartman is pretending to be like a Johnny Smith sort of character. Brilliant. So this sort of stuff is amazingly well parodied. So the rain mac, as soon as I saw it, I was like, this makes complete sense to me because I'd seen South Park and obviously all that sort of stuff and I have a bit more knowledge about it. But it wouldn't if you didn't exactly. know that. Exactly. Yeah, it was just know. weird, wouldn't it? It was weird. Um, but Frank Dodd... Uh, gone and such a major player in the Castle Rock series and, and for anyone listening to us who hasn't seen Castle Rock the season yet it is now available for digital it's on digital release um, I would implore everyone to to go and watch it it is very good um, it's a one of the best Stephen King adaptations I think that there is or like a new sort of thing from all this material better than this I mean it is much better than this <laughs> and Frank Dodd plays a major role in that whole season he's mentioned probably I'd reckon in at least 8 out of 10 of the episodes so there's a lot of heritage with his character that's why we're just slightly disappointed that we didn't see more of it here in this adaptation <clears throat> but let's continue with the rest of the plot so This is after, obviously, Johnny's been shot by Dodd's mother and then she is killed by Bannerman. A disillusioned Johnny, now barely able to walk because he's obviously been shot. He's having a bad time. Let's face it, he's in a massive car crash, coma for five years, then shot in the hip, whatever. Uh, He moves away and attempts to live a more isolated life. He takes on tutoring jobs for children, so back to his school teaching, working from home until a wealthy man named Roger Stewart implores him to come and visit his son. His son is called Chris. They form a friendship, but Johnny soon receives a vision of Chris and two other boys falling into ice and drowning due to wearing heavy hockey equipment during a game. That was a good visuals and imagery. Yeah. That little Very, bit, I was like, yeah. oh, that's good. Yeah, that's a good use of the, the thing. And you can see their little relationship bonding. Once again, skirted over quite quickly, I thought. Uh, we'll come yes. on to the book stuff in a minute. Uh, uh, literally biting my tongue. Yeah, well, wait, wait. Despite Stuart's scepticism, Chris believes Johnny and stays home from the game. As a result, 
The, the other two boys fall in the ice and drown, much to Stuart's shock. Johnny then realises he has a dead zone, in commas, in his visions, where he can actually change the future. He's magic! So, I think we stop it there. We've glazed over quite a lot of stuff. So Johnny, disillusioned with what happened, being shot by Dodd's mother, teaching again, Chris, Emma... Tell me what's going on book-wise here. Tell me what we're missing out on and tell me what has been misinterpreted. So, actually, in some ways, this part of the film is relatively faithful to the storyline of the book. So, Mm. yes, this is... I don't think he gets shot. I I think I'd remember that. Um, But he's deteriorating rapidly. um, Health-wise. Yeah. Because of the the abilities. um, Yeah, because he's getting really severe headaches and lots of other stuff is going on. Um, So he does move away and he starts tutoring because they won't take him on as a teacher at the school because of his infamy as a psychic or a failed psychic or blah, blah, blah. Well, he's not failed psychic, is he? Well, there is something in the the book that happens around that. I won't go into detail. Right, okay, yes. Um, Like a fake... Like a charlatan. Well, everyone, you know, everyone would be sceptical. It's like I'm very sceptical of anyone that says they're a psychic. So don't tell me you're... Well, Emma's touching me at this point and not in that way. So continue. Not yet. I don't know why I said that. Uh, yeah. That's so weird. That is weird. Continue. Oh, you've um, had a vision. <laughs> oh, God, it's a vision. Oh, God. Um, so, yeah, he is approached by a, a wealthy father. He wants him to come tutor his son. Uh, this son, however, is called Chuck, and he is... I, I prefer the name Chuck. Just going to put it out there. Chris is, you know, if you if you call Chris, that's cool, but Chuck's quite hilarious. Yeah. Well, Chuck is also um, about to graduate high school. Okay. he's not, because he's not doing a lot of work. They have a really long friendship. And so this bit was interesting for me. I mean, you're right, Luce, that scene where they showed the kind of vision of the, of the boys drowning mm. was great. Like, good visuals. Really well shot, like really good. Um, but this really weirded me out because I have mentioned this before. In the novel, the vision that he has is of there being a massive fire at... Um... The house is burning. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of fire. In Literally. Um, so basically, the tradition is is that when the kids graduate high school, they will have a graduation dinner at this particular restaurant um, and they're all allowed to drink and party because they're all together. So like 300 kids, yeah. 17, 18. Drinking. Mm-hmm. Drinking. Chaos. Anyway, so Johnny has this vision that, and this relates back to other stuff. We talked about lightning rods before. Um, there is a scene about a third of the way into the book where we um, get a bit of background on Greg Stilson and uh, and there's a lightning rod salesman and the owner of the restaurant right. refuses to buy lightning rods. So in his vision, Bizarre. the restaurant He'll is... He'll rue the day yeah. well, refused to buy well, a lightning rod for his premises. Because <laughs> the restaurant was struck by lightning, set oh. on fire and all the kids died. Sounds like Carrie. Whoa, so you're telling me that in the book all these kids die? Uh, well, no, because actually Chuck does believe Johnny. Yeah. Um, and so does Chuck's dad. So half of the kids... Stuart. ...stay at... I don't know if... I can't remember if that's his name. Yes. Um, Mr. Chuck, Daddy yeah. Chuck... Yes. Uh, ...has a party for half the students... So only at half his of them house die. instead. So only <laughs> half of them die in the fire. So only half of them die. So only 150. Yeah. So... Happy ending. But happy what? ending to everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Woo! Um, that's like Harry, no? <laughs> It's very similar. Bit, yeah. Maybe fire is just prevalent in everything. I mean, well, so yeah. Cronenberg kind of blew his load a little bit with the earlier fire then, didn't he? A little bit. I mean, that does happen in the book, but not quite as dramatically. Mm. But what's interesting... Yeah, so Two boys drowning is not the same as half the school being burnt yeah, to death. Yeah, it's no, extreme. It is pretty extreme. Um, but you know what Stephen King's like with those kids. It's so extra. Killing kids all the time. He loves it. But what's interesting is that um, in the novel, we... And I mentioned this with the Wheel of Fortune at the fair, but you get to um, come to the realisation that Johnny has always been slightly psychically touched. So when he is a kid, he is skating on the lake um, and he falls. And hits his head. And I believe he's hit in the head with a hockey puck. I think it's an ice hockey puck. Yeah, I remember this. I remember this. And as he is um, coming back to... um, Consciousness. Thanks, Len. The adult that is taking care of him hears him say, don't jump it no more. And everyone's really confused. Three months later, that guy is killed whilst jump-starting a car. Well. Don't jump it no more. Don't jump it no more. Why didn't he listen? Yeah. Didn't, it, well, because, you know. First vision. At that time, charlatan. So, so this is why I said he's kind of faithful here, that Cronenberg has taken that, you know, the, the ice hockey he's and skating on the ice. the ice. Yeah. But, I mean, you were totally right there, Luz, that... 
two kids drowning is not the same as 150 kids burning to death. And I mean, mm. Stephen King talks a lot about the smell of burning flesh. Yeah, he King loves flesh. describing things like that. And I will say that, you know, it, this film is quite dark in a way. And as I said, it's, it's very dour, not much humour. Mm. Uh, I think if you would have put 150 burning children in there as well, might have even got a lower blueberry from me. But uh, Johnny attends a rally for Greg Stilson. So Greg Stilson is a third party candidate for the United States Senate, for whom Sarah and her husband volunteer. Yeah, I Sarah. mean... Sarah, I didn't think of Sarah. The moment, the moment I saw Sarah, like, you know representing Greggy Boy, I was like, oh, don't like you anymore, Sarah. No. Disappointed, planky. Very, very disappointed, hmm. wooden lady. Johnny shakes Stilson's hand and has a vision of him becoming president and ordering a preemptive nuclear strike against Russia that results in a nuclear holocaust. Dun, dun, dun. Now, I do actually like this, to be fair. It's very big. Spot on to it's, it's big. It's, it's a big plot point. And actually, you know, most of the times with this psychic sort of stuff, it's... Um, quite small scale like the Frank Dodd thing which I wish they had explored more but to have this grander plot this is essentially saving the world with this ability which mm. I think is extremely important and amazing and I, and I really like the way they took it in this direction to be fair and it was very kind of timely wasn't it oh 80s? 100% I mean this is this timely is, now it this, feels oh, yeah. like this was again. you know building up to detente the period of cooling between mm. Russia and, and America and uh, you know at this point it was still you know, there's still quite a lot of tension there mm. Okay, um, so I want to ask you guys what you think about Greg Stilson. Uh, so Trump. he, well, literally, I have to say, he does have uh, the, the way he was speaking and the way he's portrayed mm. in this film was very... Appealing to popularism. Yeah, it's, it's popularism. It's, you know, saying the things that will please the most people. Like, and I don't necessarily believe in anything that he was saying. I don't think you're meant to believe anything that he's saying. Even the character of Stuart, the the... Chuck's dad or Chris's dad in the film says, you know, don't trust that guy. You've got to stay close to him in case he wins. But I don't trust him at all. And Johnny's very sceptical of him from the start. And the way you see him portrayed on the television, I think it's quite poignant at this time in the political uh, landscape globally, mm. not just in America, globally. It's, uh, you know, I'm not saying anything, you know, here in the UK. Mm. We're a shambles, so Whoa. don't worry about it. Um, but Would uh, you believe me if I told you that Greg Stilson used to be a Bible salesman? I would believe that. Um, and not only that, he once uh, kicked a dog to death whilst on a Bible sales trip. Well, that's that's because it barked that, too that, much. That, that's that, you know that? that's literally made me hate him that's even more. That's worse than a nuclear holocaust. That's yeah, yeah, in my mind it is. So I I think in the in the movie what you miss is the the backstory of Greg Stilson's super like superiorly severe violence and his mm. rise to sort of power yeah, and you get a lot of that and you know what how he becomes mates with Sonny who is a dirty nasty man and that's his right hand man yeah I mean one is horrible that like you can tell he's horrible yeah. I don't think you really get the scope of how horrible he is but he is yeah so. he's like his yeah. his lackey his bodyguard whatever you want to call him at one point in the book um Greg is asked to uh, get a kid to take off an offensive T-shirt and he rips it off him and sets it on fire. Fire again. Fire. So much fire. This is King needs to... Well, early starter. King needs to think of other Having natural that, yeah. phenomenon. Yeah. The way that this happens um, with the rally and the vision is all spot on. Well, that's very good then because yeah, the I liked it. Bit caricature. I, I liked his yeah. stripy um, dressing gown. Oh, lovely! It reminded me of Beetlejuice. I, I well, I love a dressing gown as well. I thought it was silk pajamas, just very low cut. Ooh, also, whenever, also very it. soft and lovely. Mm. So, uh, send us in your pajama thoughts at <laughs> fancriticalpodcast at gmail dot com forward slash pajamas. Um, no pictures. He seeks Weezak back to Doctor Weezak's advice, asking by way of example if he would have killed Adolf Hitler if he had the chance knowing in advance the atrocities Hitler would commit. Weizak replies that he would have no choice but to kill him. Johnny leaves Sarah a letter telling her what he was about to do and it will cost him his life, but that it will be a sacrifice that he is willing to make. So he's made the decision here after consulting good old Dr. Weizak to uh, eliminate uh, uh, what's his name, Stilson, to save the future of humanity, which I think we would all do here. Let's take a vote. If you had the opportunity to kill Greg Stilson or Hitler, either one, I'll give you both, um, would you do it? I would happily kill both of them. How am I going to kill them? With a rifle at a rally? Because I think I'd get shook and miss. Uh, you've had significant training 
right. beforehand, you will not miss. Okay. You've got the opportunity. All you've got to do is pull the trigger. Can I just poison them secretly? That's you, a woman's way. Oh yeah. God! Well, Game of Thronesy. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm going to. I will choose to poison them both. Yeah. Uh, With heavy metal over if it a meant, period of months. If it meant saving loads of people, you'd do it, right, Em? So, yeah, I mean, so, I saving the world, them. essentially. Don't even need that excuse, just not very nice men. They are awful, awful people. Johnny loads a rifle and takes aim at Stilson at a rally. His shot misses the target, but Stilson grabs Sarah's baby and holds him as a human shield. So this was cool. hilarious. I have never seen anything so fucking farcical as this scene. Uh, it's hilarious. So Unbelievable. Stilson grabs Sarah's baby and holds him as a human shield. A photographer snaps a picture of Stilson holding He's the baby. He's the real hero here, the photographer. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, stop God. being mean to the press, everybody. Mm. Snaps a picture of Stilson holding the baby just as Johnny is shot by a security guard. Confronted by an angry Stilson, a fatally wounded Johnny grabs his hand. Right, so this is quite good, this bit. He now foresees Stilson's reputation and political ambitions being ruined. After the photograph of his cowardly act is published, Stilson will shoot himself. Johnny tells Stilson he's finished. You're finished. Sarah then embraces Johnny and tells him she loves him as he dies. So a couple of things to pick up on there. Um, I like the way that he didn't actually kill the man. Yes, I did too. And yeah. just his the fact that he forced him into a situation like that. Well, he, resu- showed, he showed his true colours to the world and yeah. that's all he really needed to do. Exactly. And I think that was far more effective than if he had just killed him because it yeah. gave us the opportunity to see an, alter- an alternate future in which he kills himself. Mm. Um, and obviously it's a despicable, despicable action grabbing a baby, a toddler... And holding it up as a human shield, that was literally one of the worst things I could think could happen to him. Mm. I mean, and to be fair, it's a fate worse than just being shot, isn't it? Because he's now going to slowly, for a man who is obviously quite power mad, as you can tell from the the flash forward when he's ordering Mm. a nuclear strike, that this is my destiny kind of thing, an absolute power mad individual. To lose all of that power is quite um, obviously... A horrible that's like hell for them well, do you know what i mean fate worse than death exactly so and he kills himself apparently so johnny succeeds sarah however does say to johnny that she loves him as he dies at this point she has no idea about this vision that he's had so i'm quite amazed that she's gone over there and still says she loves him because it's a bit weird she he essentially put her baby in danger yeah. And as far as she knows, he might just be crazy about yeah. the relationship and be trying to kill the baby. Yeah. Who knows? Or trying to kill anyone and he missed. Anyway. Yeah. So yeah. I was a bit it's amused a by that. Point. But once she reads the letter, I, you know, I, I you know, hope she understands. Emma, anything to add from a book perspective on, on this final uh, chapter of the film? Uh, briefly, yes. So there's a, there's a much more of a run up to this where he follows Stilson around at a load of rallies. So he's right. getting progressively sicker. Um, His headaches, migraines. Well, it actually turns out in the epilogue that he has uh, a brain tumor and he knows that he's going to die. Makes so there's nothing to lose okay. here. Makes sense with the ability. Yeah. Um, Sarah is not at this rally. Right. However. Stilson does grab a kid to try and save himself. Okay, Just so a random kid. I think it's a good decision then from Cronenberg to use a character that we are attached to and that he has affection for as the human shield. So mm, good work, Cronenberg. It was weird as well. Not weird. Um, it's not the film's fault, but seeing Martin Sheen as a baddie because he's such a lovable gen. Yes. Uh, and he's like in the West Wing. Laughing. And West Wing, you know, it's quite opposite, isn't it? So yeah. in the West Wing, he's so President lovely. Bartlett. And then in this, he's an absolute tosser who mm. orders nuclear strikes. So that'd be a good episode of the West Wing, though, wouldn't it? Oh, my God. That could be the season finale. That could be the Lovely series gem. finale of West Wing. <laughs> so, um, and that's it, guys. Dead Zone, over with. Um Thank God. Not an enjoyable watch, I have to say. I mean, some of these uh, adaptations, when we're going back and revisiting them, are quite fun to watch. Like, we had a load of fun watching Pet Cemetery. (laughs) I mean, I don't think it's the best film ever, but we had some fun watching it. Misery last week was a joy. An absolute joy. It's a good film, though. Uh, it's a great film, and if you haven't seen that, go watch that and listen to the podcast. It's quite funny. Uh, It was a joy to cover that film. Um, And... 
This one for me, out of all the ones we've covered so far, which is Cujo, Pet Cemetery, Misery, and then this, this for me was the one that felt the most flat. It felt the most, you know, it didn't really have any peaks and troughs. Mm, there yeah. wasn't too many yeah. different dimensions to it. It was very, as I said, cold. I do like some things that Cronenberg decided to do, and I have no problem with Christopher Walken's acting in this film. I just think that they glazed over some major parts of the book uh, that would have been interesting to have, especially as we have just seen uh, the whole of Castle rock season one and wanted a bit more light shed on some of those events i would implore you if you have the time to read the dead zone it's it's fantastic and we haven't had that many spoilers the journey is is very enjoyable yeah and that's uh, a recommendation i've read it years and years and years ago em so that's why i'm relying on you for this i'm going to reread that book as soon as i get time definitely unfortunately i've got a couple of reading projects that i've got for us coming up but before that let's move on to listener feedback Hello, yes, and uh, this is the feedback section. Quite a short feedback this week, but if you do want to get in touch with us, we would massively appreciate it. All you have to do is email us at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com that is fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com or alternatively reply to any of our social media feeds we're on Instagram as fan underscore critical we're on Facebook just search fancritical you'll see our little 8-bit characters pop up and and that's us Uh, or on Twitter we are fancriticalpod at fancriticalpod reply to any of our posts on there and we will get back to you we're pretty good at that so Anyway, let's move on to the feedback. First up, Jason has some comments about our Pet Cemetery podcast <laughs> that I thought would be good to include because they answer some very important questions. And we were talking about pajamas earlier. Listening to the pet, this is what he says. This is Jason. Listening to the Pet Cemetery review, uh, was laughing at you guys going on about him sleeping in scrubs and why he would do that. So, for anyone listening who haven't listened to the Pet Cemetery podcast, Uh, The main character in there decides to sleep in his scrubs, which we all thought was absolutely bizarre. Weird. Jason says this. Growing up, my brother and I used scrubs as pyjamas all the time as my mother would bring them home from the hospital when they were going to throw them out. That and batteries were thrown out after very little use. So she would bring both home. So Very thrifty, mum. Very thrifty. I applaud thriftiness. Yes, very good. And just to make us look like idiots, they do. People do wear scrubs as pajamas. So well, not here they don't. Well, we don't know that. I do. I mean, we don't know where Jason's from. Jason, we don't. I don't know. We don't know where you're from. Um, We're going to assume America. So in the UK, we're still unconfirmed reports of scrub wearers uh, at bedtime. But uh, I think we should all follow Johnny Smith's lead here and get a lovely dressing gown or some silk PJs. No, it was Greg that had the nice dressing gown. Greg, sorry. Homicidal Greg. Yes. Um, just get some nice pyjamas. That's just a rule of thumb. Everyone get nice pyjamas. They will really improve your sleep. Mm-hmm. So anyway, next up, <laughs> next up, Mike's had this to say on uh, Facebook and he's let us know his thoughts after watching The Dead Zone. Mike says... Just finished watching The Dead Zone. Not sure how I feel about this one. It wasn't horrible, just a bad in a movies were often bad during that time period sort of way. Some of the dialogue was pretty silly. He's not wrong. I, he's not wrong at this point. I'd say it was closer to Pet Cemetery than it was to Misery. Probably true, but not as ridiculous as Pet Cemetery. Still, it's fun to watch these older Stephen King movies. I'm looking forward to the podcast, mainly for the differences between the movie and the book. I hope yeah. we've shed enough light on that, because I think that we did quite a good job on that this mm-hmm. week. Well done, Emma. Compared, we. Well, Emma. <laughs> last Yay. week, her notes were ridiculous. So you this, weren't supposed to read them verbatim, then. Well, you know... Just saying, bit of research. I bought the book recently, but haven't read it yet. Uh, he asks, is Bannerman Pangborn in the book? I thought you guys had mentioned Pangborn was in the book during the Castle Rock podcasts. That was uh, a small mistake, I have to admit. Did you make a mistake, did you? <gasps> it was you, 
I might have made a mistake. Well, one of us made a mistake. The thing is, um, it's, it's hard to keep track of all these eras and things. But I, I think we've cleared it up in this podcast that it's definitely not Pangborn. Pangborn is Needful Things, the Dark Half, uh, etc. Uh, Bannerman is Cujo. Uh, this then Cujo, right in the timeline. It's the Correct, yeah, Dead Zone then Cujo, and then he meets his demise, uh, and then we see Pangborn in Needful Things, and uh, yeah. I, I we love Pangborn so Pangers Pangers we miss you we miss you in current timeline but we can we can go back there and that's it for feedback this week um, please do write into us though with any thoughts on Castle Rock the show because we still can discuss that from time to time uh, just email us at fancriticalpodcast.gmail.com or any of the social channels in two weeks time we are going to be covering something that is extremely complicated and this is a serious piece of homework for Emma and all of us to be fair. It's basically just me. Well, I am listening to the audiobook of this, and I know Ooh. that you uh, frown upon the audiobooks. No, I might do the same then, Lemon. Yeah. I love a, I love a good listening. audiobook. It, it, it gets me through the gym, you know, I can just listen to it and sort of think. I don't frown that. upon it. It's just not for me. Yeah, well, that's fine. So like heroin. what we're going to cover, uh, because it's just been announced, they're doing a remake, yes, with... Matthew McConaughey reprising his role as Randall Flagg from the recent Dark Tower stuff. We're going to be covering The Stand. Woo! Stand. Uh, something that people literally have fond memories of. I have fond memories of watching this mini TV series that was released uh, years ago uh, when I was very much younger than I am now. I'm very much looking forward to watching it again. Uh, so The Stand is our choice in two weeks' time. It is extremely complicated. I think it's one of the biggest undertakings of a retrospective that we've taken on and i hope it will lead to a very fascinating conversation and our hopes for the remake that they're doing in, in a couple years time or a year or so's time i know fuck all about it so that's so good i'm really excited to read that, it that's good isn't it yes. thanks for the homework same really. same so if you know nothing about it that is i'm excited for you to actually experience it because i think it's fascinating um and that's it for this week i want to say thank you to emma and lucy Thank you. Uh, and all that's left to say is if you have enjoyed this, please do subscribe to either this, Castle Rock Critical, on any podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, etc. Or please, uh, you know, if you want to listen to some of our other stuff, like our reviews of things like Game of Thrones or Westworld or... Avengers. Avengers or any sort of major event movie that comes out or Walking Dead, then please do subscribe to Fan Critical. That is also on every single podcast platform that you can imagine. And that's it, guys. Uh, see you in two weeks' time. Technically, there'll be a Haunting of Hill House release next week, but for the Stephen King stuff, two weeks' time. And until then, bye-bye. Bye! Bye!